Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Philemon uh, this morning. Philemon is a letter, um, basically like a postcard that Paul wrote. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote this to a man named Philemon who was a pastor um, at a, in, a, in the church in Colossae. And so he was there with his wife um, and, and his son pastoring this church that met in their home. And so Paul is writing this letter to Philemon because Philemon had a runaway slave named Onesimus. Um, and so as, as Paul's writing the book of Philemon, let me give you a little context of where he's at. Gives you at speed. Paul is in um, house arrest, on house arrest in Rome. Um, this is where ba- Paul wrote the book of Colossi- Colossians, um, and also this is where he wrote uh, the book of Ephesians. And so, as Paul is is in this prison cell in Rome, um, he he's writing this this letter specifically to Philemon um, about his runaway slave and how he he needs to deal with it and um, and. I'll kind of give you a spoiler alert. Um, Onesimus repents, comes to Jesus, uh, and so therefore there's a good ending. So I hate bad endings. Like, remember the movie Tangled? It's like one of my favorite movies. My, my daughters, like, I have little daughters, they would love that movie. And I didn't catch the part, like, when Flynn Rider was like, this is the story of how I died. Like, he tells you in the end, I would have turned it off right there. But I watched it, and then he died. And I'm like, yes, her tears will heal him. Um, and so he came back to life. Um, so it's a good movie. I hate, like, I like, uh, anyways, I like movies that end with happy, you know, gay puppy dogs at the end. It's good. Um, so the book of Philemon ends that way. It's one chapter, real short. It's a small, basically, postcard written to, um, written to this, this guy. And so let's, uh, let's, let's jump into it here in the first couple of verses. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, uh, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your home, grace to you and peace from our Lord, um, or excuse me, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, just in typical Paul fashion, is writing, he's this, this uh, addressing the letter, he says, look, grace and peace to you. He is writing to um, Philemon, Archippus, and uh, Aphias, and so, or Aphia and Archippus. So Aphia is Philemon's wife, and Archippus, who's actually mentioned in the book of Colossians, is um, Philemon's son. So he is addressing this letter not only to, um, not to only to Philemon, but to his family as well, who is pastoring that church in their home. Um, so he, he addresses it, um, and he says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I think it's obvious. The reason he, he addresses that way is because he's soon, he's soon going to ask them to release uh, or to forgive um, the debt and to make it right with Onesimus, who had stolen some monies, we'll get to later, and took off um, and you know, bailed out of his obligation to be a Philemon slave. And so he puts Philemon, uh, or uh, Paul, excuse me, puts Onesimus and him on the same level. We're all prisoners to a sense. And the crux really of today's message is, you know, either we're, we're a prisoner to the Lord or a prisoner to our sin, and we're either a slave to righteousness or a slave to lawlessness. Um, and so Paul, right off the bat, kind of addresses that um, so that he would be thinking along those lines, I believe. I think Paul is very, very, I know Paul was very, very smart. He was... Um, in the Sanhedrin, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisee, he's not a dumb guy. Um, and so he's, he's addressing them. And uh, pick up here in verse four, uh, 4, it says, I thank God, or I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. 
hearing of your love and your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become evident by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, my brother. Okay, so uh, Paul he, he's writing about, um, as he writes to Philemon, he addresses a few things with Philemon. He says, um, I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love. Um, that is pretty incredible stuff. Um, you guys remember, Paul is in Rome, which is the Mecca of Mecca. It is like Las Vegas, New York, Los Angeles, every big city you can imagine, all like on steroids, right? It's just this huge huge metropolis city. It's the biggest city in the known world at the time. And, uh, and, and Colossae is small. The church of Colossae is small. Uh, the, the town there is, is really small. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in a sea apart, hundreds of miles apart in a sea apart. And yet Paul says, I have heard of your love and I've heard of your faith or heard of your hope and, and your love for Jesus and for his people. That is pretty incredible. Um, how many of you guys have that, that person that you just, I mean, Paul just loves this guy. He admires this guy. Later on, he calls him his dear brother. How many of you guys have heard of someone's reputation from afar? Right? It's easy today. We have social media. We have Twitter. There's tweeting going on. There's Instagramming. There's Facebooking. There's, you know, there's texting, there's phone calls. It's like as soon as something happens, then all of a sudden there's a gif or a gif, however you pronounce that, of that making fun of that within six seconds, right? There's a press conference for the, you know, LeBron James has a press conference or Stephen Curry has a press conference. The next thing you know, two minutes later, there's memes on the internet. There's, there's people are talking about it. Today, news travels like that. Back then, it wasn't necessarily like that. So for me, I look at that and I'm like, wow, that is very, very, very special that, that Philemon was such a man of God that his, his faith was heard about from miles and miles away in, in an era where there was no phones or it would take you months to travel to get to him. I mean, he heard um, what, what God was doing in his life and he heard how he was affecting the believers there in Colossae from uh, a prison cell or from, a, from house arrest in Rome. Um, Philemon was a, was a man of, of, of love. He loved God and he loved people. You look at verse, uh, verse 6, it says that the sharing, or verse 5, it says, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints. Um, Philemon's love and, and faith towards Jesus was, was public. How many of you guys are married out there? Would you say, hopefully the same amount of hands go up, would you say you love your spouse? Okay, is, is that proven through your actions? It needs to be, right? Like if I'm yelling at my wife all the time and I'm being rude and just being a jerk and I'm like, oh, but I love her, talk is cheap. You're like, no, you don't. You're treating her like d- garbage or trash. So our love and our affection towards one another is proven through our actions, right? So we realize that, that talk is cheap, you know, but Philemon his love for God and God's people was so evident that Paul heard about it from forever away. So ask yourself this question, you know, if, um, if you were, do people at your workplace, the people in your social community, do they know that you're a believer? Do they know that you love Jesus? 
Is it because they see your Bible verse on Facebook every day or is it because they know your character and they've seen you um, hold them accountable or they've seen you love Jesus through your actions? And this is something that I think that many of us, myself included, we struggle with, you know, because we, yes, we love Jesus. Yes, we love the Lord, but no one would ever really know about it. I just came off of a junior high camp where I taught last night to a bunch of sixth graders about... um, well, let me back up. So we have small groups. After each session, I was responsible for five, you know, um, seventh and eighth grade boys. And then each leader was responsible for maybe four or five, either girls or guys, mixed grade. Um, and we, we'd, we'd have small group questions after each session. And one of the questions or one of the themes, the recurring themes that came up in my, in this, yeah, I mean, these are seventh and eighth grade boys. These are too cool for school, like, rah, rah, you know, I got armpit hair now, right? And uh, I wear deodorant now. Um, and what they were talking about is their, their, their longing to be accepted. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. That's what they struggle with. How many of you guys can identify with that same struggle at 40, 50, 60, so on, right? It's across the board. It's unanimous. They want, they want to be accepted and loved so much that they were willing to tell lies. Uh, one of our leaders who was up at camp was like, I was the same way when I was in you know, junior high. I wanted to be loved and accepted so much that I, I was able, or I told like all the, my friends that I was a drug dealer. Like apparently that was cool. <laughs> like you'll have more friends if you become a drug dealer or something. I don't know. But I mean, you go through great lengths to be loved and accepted. And, uh, and Philemon here, he he was so vocal about his faith and his love for others that it says here in verse 7 um, that for we have, we have heard of the great joy, or excuse me, we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Because of your relationship with, with Jesus, Philemon, the people around you are loved and accepted and refreshed. We, so at junior high camp, we had this game um, where I was out in the field and there was a lot of running around and I was in pink, I was on the pink team, so I had pink yoga pants, tights on with like shorts, and it was hot, and I'm a bigger guy, and so I'm running around, and, um, and then I stopped drinking soda like a while back, and there was a silver can in the back of my truck, and I saw it from a distance, and I was like, I see it over there, I'm going to go get it, you know, and I run over there, I'm like, ah, oh, soda, and I get in the back of the truck, and what is it? It's a can of Barbersol shaving cream that we were using for a game that I was covered in already. And I was so bummed because I was so parched. I was so thirsty and I was waiting for that can of Barbasol to refresh me and then realize that I will die if I drink this. And so the idea behind refreshing those around us by our faith being evident is like that can of Barbasol. We can either be poisoned to people or we can be refreshing I was hoping it was going to be like a monster, you know, like the, one of the low-carb monsters, like my favorite, right? I was hoping it was going to be like a low-carb monster, and then it was a black can and everything, and then it was poison Barbersaw, like the dollar shaving cream from the dollar store that my wife bought for this camp that I knew was in the back of my truck, but my mind was playing tricks on me because I was so thirsty and needed to be refreshed. Um, but this is, this is what I want to get at, is that as I was running for that can of Barbersaw, I was like slow motion in my pink tights, just going for it. I was like going to dive in the back of the truck and like pop it open and drink it. I was like, it was already playing through my mind like a movie and it was Barbasol. It was poison. And, um, you know, you and I are, are just like that can. We can either be refreshing for those around us. We can be that, that fresh breath of air 
or we can be poison. You know, it's like what we sow, others will reap as well. The way we act, others will either like us or dislike us, want to be around us or not want to be around us. People will be refreshed and encouraged in the Lord or they'll be, um, or they will be let down and disappointed. This was years ago. Um, we had a, a student in the high school ministry and uh, he, we were reading in the, or I was teaching out of the book of Hebrews and uh, I had a student um, read Bad idea, the book of Hebrews. Um, but he was reading, and King, um, or the priest, Melchizedek, he couldn't pronounce his name, and I kind of chuckled a little bit. Um, but I knew the student really well, but I broke this kid's spirit by laughing at his misfortune and him reading. And I didn't know it because he played it cool. No big deal. I get a call from his mom saying, hey, Kyle, you know, I knew the family really well. We were really close with them. And he's like, hey, Kyle, I just want you to know that you know, what you did, um, you know, I know you, I know you weren't trying to be mean or whatever, but like he, he got in the car and started crying. And I was like, I just wanted to crawl in a hole and die. You know, I really did. I love this kid. I love this family. Um, so um, I, I, the next day, um, this was Sunday, obviously. So Monday I picked him up from school and I apologized to him. I picked, he went to Chaparral, picked him up there, went over to Jamba Juice across the way, bought him Jamba Juice. I mean, just anything I could possibly do to, uh, to just make up and just tell him that I, I, I was sorry, that I, I didn't mean to. And then I, I come back to the office and I was going to take a spiritual gifts test. Because, you know, they say your spiritual gifts test change or your answers will change over the years. So I took mine and the, the number one thing that I got, um, and I kid you not, it was the gift of discouragement. It's not a spiritual gift. There was a typo. It was supposed to be discernment, but it was the gift of discouragement. Every, I checked, every other paper in there said discernment, discernment, discernment. I look at mine, discouragement. Tell you God doesn't have a sense of humor and yet slap me in the face at the same time. This is the way we can be. We can tear others down to the point where they they go home and, and they're crying or we can build them up and love them and care for them and, and encourage them. And so Philemon was a man of God, um, and, and it's so much so that his, his love for Jesus poured out into others around him. Um, so let me give you a little background. So now you have a kind of no Paul, uh, or you know Philemon, excuse me. Now, we haven't mentioned Onesimus at all. So this is where Onesimus comes in. So if you would pick up in, in verse 8 and, and read with me. It says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, uh, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deeds might be done by compulsion, as it were, not, but voluntary. But for, be, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then, verse 17, you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. So, 
This is where we, this is where we find um, Philemon, where he comes into the story. And Philemon was, was a slave, like, or excuse me, not Philemon, uh, Onesimus. Onesimus was a, was a slave. Um, so, but a, if you notice in this whole section that we just read, Paul doesn't address slavery at all. Um, the reason being is, is slavery then was not the same way that slavery is today or was 100 years ago or and beyond. That's not the way slavery was. My daughters love the movie um, of, not Freaky Friday, but uh, Parent Trap, pre-Lindsay Lohan going crazy. You know, um, like the Disney Lindsay Lohan. Um, where she, she's like a twin, but long lost twin. You know, it's, it's been a thousand movies. But there's two butlers. The mom has a, a guy butler from like England who's bald. He's like really cool. And then like the dad who lives like in um, where they do the wine up north. She's got like this cool like country down home like butleress. Is that? Nanny, there you go. Uh, the nanny. And so they're just a part of the family. They, they weren't like mistreated. They were well taken care of. They were compensated. This was the idea of, of slavery back in the day. It was a means to pay off a debt. It wasn't as if you, I bought you from slavery and now you're mine and you will do this. That's not the way that the, the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon worked. This relationship was Onesimus owed Philemon, and so God made a way for people to pay off their debt by coming and working for them. Now, Onis, or Philemon would be responsible to take care of Onesimus. He would pay for, you know, make, make sure he had a place to stay and, and eat, or food to eat, and all that kinds of stuff. And so... Um, when you think of slavery, that's why Paul doesn't address slavery. And he's in Rome where there's 60 million people and half of the 60 million are slaves. And so he's kind of going to watch who he's writing to. If he was going to bash slavery, uh, then he probably would have got killed. But slavery wasn't the way it is today and how evil it is uh, today and, and beyond or, you know, in the recent past. And so I want you guys to know that. And, and obviously the punishment for a runaway slave was death. And if you didn't die, you'd get, um, you'd get dragged out and killed in front of the other slaves. But if you, if you didn't die, you would get a giant F on your, on your forehead for a fugitive. Um, and so the punishment for slavery was, was kind of a big deal. Um, if you notice in verse 18, um, Paul says, Paul says in verse 18, it says, but if he has wronged you, so Paul speaking to a Philemon about Onesimus says, but if Onesimus has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. So this suggests here, Paul suggests in his writings that Onesimus stole some money and took off. Um, if, you're a, if you're a fugitive, if you're a slave and you want to run away, where there's no better place to run away than Rome. Rome was the, the, the biggest city known to man at that time. It was the, the Mecca. It was everything. And so Onesimus runs off to, to Rome and, uh, and somehow by, by God's sovereign hand and his sense of humor, he runs into Paul, who happens to be good buddies with Philemon. I mean, what are the chances, right? That's like one in a million. Um, think of the line. What is all that one in a million talk? Some of you will get that reference, but um, anyway, so what probably happened in Rome, we don't know. The Bible's silent on this, but somehow Philemon and, or uh, Paul and Onesimus hook up. So this is what I'm thinking. You look, at, you look at Onesimus, why do people, why do slaves want to run away? Why do people in jail want to escape? Because they don't want to be there anymore. They want to be free, Right? 
pretty simple, not super theological or anything. It's pretty straightforward. You want to get away because you want to be free. And Onesimus wanted to be free. And so he, he ran away, took off of some money, went to Rome. And Paul at this time was very well known. He, he was on house arrest. He was well respected even in the, the Roman Empire. He, didn't, they weren't in, he wasn't in chains. He was literally on house arrest with another Roman uh, soldier in an apartment, if you will, or in a house. Um, and so Paul was, was sending letters to and for. I mean, it, it's said that Paul has sent hundreds and thousands of letters that, that the Bible doesn't contain um, because God didn't see fit for it to, to make the canonization of the Scripture. But he was constantly writing, and people were coming to and from his house. And so he was gaining uh, popularity, if you will, um, and he was gaining in, in stature, and he was gaining in, in status. And so I can imagine Onesimus stumbling upon Paul or hearing about Paul and seeing this man preach on, because um, you remember, he's in Rome. And we, I just taught through Romans chapter 6 this weekend um, for our junior high camp. And the whole, whole chapter 6, I mean, really the book of Romans is about being set free from the law and set free from the bondage of our sin. And yet here's this man in bondage, a slave, a, a prisoner, um, teaching on being set free. And I can imagine Onesimus wanting that. I mean, the reason he left home and left his, his post as, as being a slave is because he wanted to be free. And now here is this man, Paul, um, in prison, preaching and teaching on, on being set free by Jesus. So this is just speculation. The Bible, like I said, does not say this. This is where my mind went as I was praying through this and reading through this. And, uh, and so I can imagine the conversation going like, hey, you know, my name is Onesimus. Um, I really think what you're doing is cool. You know, and Paul's like, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell unless you repent. So he's like, okay, I'll repent. And then they're like, well, what's your story? And Onesimus is like, well, I'm really from Colossae. And, um, you know, and I'm, a, I'm a runaway slave. I, I, you know, I need, to, I need to repent from that. And he's like, well, who's your master? And he's like, Philemon. And Paul's like, oh, I know Philemon and his wife. And, yeah, she makes the best turkey dumplings or whatever it is. Um, wouldn't be pork stew because that was not cool. Um, and... And so somehow, Paul and, and Onesimus hook up. But that's not the important. The important part is, is you look at, um, back to Philemon uh, chapter, or Philemon. Um, he says, there's only one chapter. Hey, you guys are good. Um, it says, for, for love's sake, verse 9, I'd rather appeal to you. Being such a one as, as Paul, the age, so he's like, hey, look, I'm writing to you, Philemon, and I'm an old man. I could... Pull on. I could. Um, I could say, "Hey, look, I'm on my apostle." Um, I can't speak right now, but hey, look, I'm Paul, and uh, you know who I am, and you will do what I say because of my authority in the church. He didn't do that. Um, he says, "I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my chains." So we know that Paul played a part in in Philem- or in uh, Onesimus's. Um, conversion and Onesimus turning from his sin and running to Jesus. And, and really, that's, that's the important thing that we want to focus on. And, and so, but before that, Philemon was, was a slave. He was a slave to his master. That means his will was swallowed up in the will of his master, Philemon. That means he no longer said, hey, I want to have, you know, uh, 
chicken for dinner. It was, you will eat lamb. Um, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to the store. It was, no, he was a slave. He was being told what to do. That's who he was. And so we look at that, and we think of slave in the Bible. Um, we think of the terminology, the, the Bible, and Paul specifically, really likens being a slave to sin, doesn't he? So when we think of, you know, Romans chapter 6, for instance, is all about being either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to Christ or you're a slave to, uh, to, to, to the enemy, to Satan. Um, and so the following is true in regard to our slavery to, to sin. You know, we are born into sin or into slavery. Um, our will is swallowed up and, um, and captive to the will of the sin that lives in us. We are enslaved to that sin. Uh, we serve it to the disregard of our own will and our own interest, even when we know it destroys us. How many of you guys are like Paul in Romans chapter 7? He's like, I want to do the right thing, but I don't do that. And then those things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Those things I want to do, I don't do. Like, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? How many of you guys are like Paul and myself and struggle that way? Right? You want to do what's right, but inevitably you end up being the, the, an idiot, if you can say that, right? We end up doing the stupid thing. I end up being an idiot and doing what I'm not supposed to do. And then I'm like, okay, I, uh, you know, you just get frustrated with yourself. You're like, I just throw your hands up and you give up. Have you guys been to that point where you're just like, I give up, forget it. I'm just a slave to sin forever. One person laughed, that's good. Yes, Kelly knows what's up. Me and Kelly, um, that, I get that way. I get that way. I get so frustrated. I'm like, man, I should be further along in my faith in this. I know better than this. But it's because we have this sin nature living inside of us. We have this flesh that wants to, to, to eat and eat and eat and, and overtake the spirit. What we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about the root of bitterness and how we need to get it at the roots. Well, the same is true with our sin. We need to go to the roots. First, how do we get set free from our sin? You can't do it in your, of yourself, can you? How, so how, how do we get set free from that sin? Jesus. We need to trust in the finishing work on the cross because we have, past tense, been set free. That's not the question. The question is, are we, choose, are we allowing Jesus? Are we walking away from that prison cell? Are we moving away from that? Or are we choosing to come back to it? We, um, the choice is ours. Jesus has set us free. And if the Son has set you free, John says, you will be free indeed. It's not a matter is it if, it's a matter of when are you going to allow Jesus to set you free. Onesimus did it on his own. So he ended up going to Rome. God, it's a funny way of doing things, has him meet up with Paul. But if you look and notice in verse 10, um, he says, look, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my chains. So at some point, uh, Onesimus had this transformation moment where he came to Jesus, come to Jesus moment, this road to Damascus, knocked off your high horse, you know, blinded for three days moment where he, he, he enters into a relationship with, with Jesus. Um, and Paul doesn't call him a slave anymore. How does he refer to him? His son. He's no longer a slave, but a son. It means when, when we're no longer enslaved to our sin, we're no longer defined by our sin, we're defined by Jesus. When we choose to, to, um, to no longer live in that prison cell of our sin and we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to walk in victory, because Romans says that we are more than conquerors through Christ, when we choose to walk in that victory is when your life begins and when your new identity starts. 
John 8, um, or John 8, 34 through 36 says this, Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son has made you free, you will be free indeed. So that term, whoever commits a sin, isn't as if like you stub your toe and you, you know, dropped a curse word or something and you sinned. That's not what he's talking about. That, that word, that phrase there where it says, whoever commits a sin is a habitual sin. It's practicing, it's getting good at sinning. It's willful obedience to sin, knowing what's right and willfully choosing to do what's wrong. That's the idea here. And so Jesus is saying, look, if, if you are willfully sinning, then you're a slave to that sin, meaning you no longer are in the driver's seat. You think that you're in the driver's seat, but you're not. Your flesh and your sin is in the driver's seat. Um, and so like Onesimus, like the Onesimus of old, I, there's a lot of us maybe in this room, and I know there's a lot of us in this community, in this world, that are running away from liberty. They think they're running to freedom and to liberty, but they're running away from God, and they're running away from the freedom that he offers in, in Christ Jesus because we are trying to do it in and of ourselves. So like the old Onesimus, many today still run from, from God, from their master, having stolen from him his glory, having stolen from him us, we belong to him. This is, this is the story of, of, of myself. This is the story of, of many of us here uh, that we were like Jonah. We were running as fast and as hard as we can away from God and God's call. Um, and yet what happened at the end? God got his way, didn't he? So you guys remember Jonah. We've all heard it. You've been in Sunday school. One day you've heard, you probably happened to be at church that day where they were talking about Jonah. Um, but I'll bring you up to speed real quick for those of you that want to hear it for the hundredth time. Um, so Jonah is called to preach a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh is a sworn enemy, um, a tyrant, uh, enemy of, of Israel and the Jews. Um, and yet Jonah is called by God to go, I want you to repent, I want you to preach this pe- message of repentance so that they would come to know me. Jonah's like, no, I don't want to. So what does he do? He hops on a boat in Joppa and heads as far and as fast away as he can from Joppa or from Nineveh. Um, so the seas start roaring, raging. You know, the people on the boat are like, okay, whose God is mad as in? They draw straws. Jonah gets the little straw. And they're like, okay, Jonah, you know, say you're sorry, repent so we can live. And Jonah's like, you know what? Instead, I'll do you a favor. You guys can live. Just throw me over into the sea. And I'd rather drown and die than do what God's called me to do. Um, so they're like, okay, sure. It works for us. Whatever gets us alive, you know. It's like, those are not good friends. Um, so... That's a whole nother message. So anyways, he jumps, he, or they throw him over, and a giant fish comes and swallows him up, and he's sitting at the, the belly of a fish. He doesn't pray. He doesn't cry out to God. The Bible doesn't record until the third day. I mean, he was stubborn. How many of you guys think you're stubborn, or your spouse is stubborn? All the hands go up, secondly, right? Um, you think your spouse is stubborn? No, Jonah is stubborn, okay? So it wasn't until the third day, and I don't know if you guys know anything about acid or stomach acid. I'm not a doctor or anything, but I've thrown up a couple times in my day. And that burning sensation that happens, that's acid eating away at your esophagus. And that's Jonah's in the bottom of the belly of this fish for three days, getting boils on his skin and bleached white like Michael Jackson and vomited out on the shore of Nineveh. Like, what happened? God got what he wanted, didn't he? He can do it the hard way or he can do it the way God called him to. 
But one way or another, God's will would be done. Some of us, we think that we are setting ourselves free from our sin. Or not, not that. We think that we are um, living these free lives and we're going to do things our way. But all you're doing is prolonging the inevitable because there will be a day of reckoning where we meet with Jesus. Myself, everyone in here included, we will meet Jesus face to face and we will have to reckon our lives. We have to pay the debt. We will have to or settle the debt. And it's either Jesus pays it or we pay for our own sin in eternity in, in hell. And there's the two choices. Either you allow Jesus to set you free and you will be free indeed. Or you can live your life trying to set yourself free, running far and fast away from God and, uh, and pay for your own sin and your own penalty um, in, in, in hell for eternity. And uh, I know it's like, well, it's pretty harsh. I, it's not my words. This is straight from the Bible. Um, this is what Jesus says will happen. It says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Onesimus, he finally got it right. He has this come to Jesus moment. And, uh, and in verse 11, Paul says, Onesimus was once unprofitable, but now he is profitable. This is like you and I. Our lives before Christ are unprofitable. They're worthless. There's nothing we can do of any value before Jesus. Our lives after Christ we can do anything. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians 4.13. We think that we are doing God a favor by, by serving him in our habitual sin. We're not. We think we're doing the others around us a favor by serving him in our habitual sin. We're not. We are unprofitable like Onesimus until we give our lives to Jesus. And at that point, we become very profitable for him and he can use us and shape us and mold us. You, you look at Peter. Peter got called to go out. Jesus is walking on the water. He thinks it's a ghost. Lord, if that's you, call me. Jumps out. Peter's got the, you know, he's got the guts to do it. You know, give him props for that. So what happens is he starts worrying about his circumstances. Obviously, the, the seas are going, you know, and it's windy and, and whatnot. He starts to sink because, you know, his focus is off of Jesus. Um, that's him doing it on his own. He starts to sink. As soon as he said, Lord, help me, what happens? Jesus pulls him up and he's able to walk on the water. This is our life. This is a perfect example of what we look like doing things on our own versus doing things the way Jesus has called us to. And Onesimus, his, his life was, his, his life was um, defined by who he was, a slave. He was an unprofitable, useless slave before Jesus. But after coming to Jesus, Paul didn't even want to let him go. He's like, I really want him here, but I need to send him back to make it right. So Paul sends him back and skip down to verse 15, if you will. And it says here, for perhaps he departed, Paul speaking to Philemon, writing to Philemon about Onesimus. He says, for perhaps he departed, Philemon, or, uh, Onesimus, uh, for a while for the purpose that you might receive him forever. And so essentially this is, in other words, this is what Paul's saying. Things don't always look the way that we want them to look on the outside, but God is still working. He's still sovereign. Onesimus' life, the way he planned it, guaranteed didn't turn out the way, or the way he planned his life wasn't the way his life turned out. I can venture to say that's the truth for most of us in this room, that when we were little or we were younger, or maybe you guys are in your early um, adulthood, and you're like, well, I thought I'd be different. I thought I'd be married with, with kids. I thought I'd be... Um, you know, have my second house. I thought I'd be further along in my career. I thought I'd be this or that. You know, and our lives don't always match up to what we think they're going to, do they? 
but we know that God has a plan regardless. Paul says, hey, look, maybe the whole reason that Onesimus ran away from you and stole your money is because now he's going to come here, receive Christ, and come back, and you guys will be brothers. Do you think Philemon's like, oh, cool. No, he's like, get back here with my money, right? You jerk. Um, but this is the same true, this is the true and truth in our life. We don't always understand why things happen. You know, we, up at camp this, this past week, we had uh, Ja'Cory uh, Cohen come up, who's in, just entered sixth grade and has you know, just lost his dad, um, Jesus, um, t- to Jesus. You know, Jesus took him home uh, less than a month ago or maybe a month ago. And, uh, you know, try to comfort that kid when I've never gone through that. There's, not, there's no words I can tell him. I can't say, oh, it'll be okay, buddy. Oh, I don't know why that happened, but I do know that God's sovereign. I do know that God loves you, and I do know that your dad is in glory. Do you think Ja'Cory's life turned out the way he thought it was going to be at 10 years old, losing his dad? Is God still good? Is God still on the throne? Is God working all things together for the good, for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose? Does that mean it hurts any less? Does that mean it's any less uncomfortable? No. That means that that God is sovereign and God is good. And we don't have the answers. And if we did, what would we need God for? Some of us, we live our whole lives trying to figure out why things happen. We try to figure out God. I don't know about you, but I don't want a God that I can figure out. I don't want a God that I can understand intellectually all the time. I want to know that he's taking care of me when I, and gives me that peace that passes all understanding and that will guard my heart and mind through Jesus. That's what I want. So Onesimus, you know, Paul says, look, maybe the reason that he took off and bailed is because we're going to receive him back. Yeah, things don't turn out the way we thought they were, but God's still in control. He still has a plan. He's still sovereign. Verse 17 says, if then you count me as a partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would me. So Paul's saying, look, you and I have been brothers a long time, Philemon. Receive him back as you would receive me back. Verse 18, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your, your own, your, yourself besides, basically. He's like, look, you owe me your life. I was responsible. Jesus used me to save you. So anything I want you to do, you're pretty much going to do. But I'm not going to require it of you. I'm going to ask it of you, right? So Paul's really crafty here, smart guy. He says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand that I will repay, not to mention to you that, uh, that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that, uh, you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, uh, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me uh, as I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. So Paul finishes off the, the chapter this way. He says, look, there still needs to be a debt or there's still a debt. Philemon is still owed the money that Onesimus took plus the years of service that Onesimus was supposed to serve underneath her. Paul doesn't say, hey, look, just, you know, forget it. It's no big deal. No, he says, put it on my account. I will repay. Who does that sound like for us? Jesus. That's what Jesus did for us. The debt that we um, are in to him because of our sin is innumerable. There's no way we can possibly ever pay that, is there? 
but Jesus made a way. And that's the beautiful, that's the gospel. Jesus made a way for you and I to be adopted as sons and daughters into his family by his blood that ran red as we sang that song. The debt is paid in full on the cross. Jesus said to Telestai, it's finished, it's done, it's done. I paid for it, you are mine. If you would just, if you would just receive me, if you would just accept me, if you would just walk out of the open jail cell that I've opened through my death, if you would just walk out and walk with me, then you would be free indeed. So for those of you in this room today that are they're dealing with maybe habitual sin or something that they just can't, they just haven't been able to conquer, um, I, I pray that you would give it over to Jesus this morning. Um, the reason you haven't been able to conquer it is because it's impossible for you to conquer that because it's already been done. It's already been paid. Jesus has paid it. All you have to do is repent, turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus. So as we close, I want to encourage you guys, if you guys would return to Romans chapter 6. Starting in verse 17. So basically, let me keep you up to speed. This is the, the passage that we taught at junior high camp. And the, the crux of this whole chapter is that we are either dead or alive. We need to be dead to our sin and alive to Christ. And if we're not, then we're dead in our sin, or then, then we're dead in Christ and alive in our sin. And so this is the, the same thing I challenge the students with um, is the same thing I'm going to challenge you guys with because it's, it's across the board. It's, it's an eternal truth. And it's in Romans 6, 17 and 18. Paul speaking, he says, but thank God, but God be thanked that through, or that though you were slaves to sin, though you were, past tense, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. In verse 18, it says, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So if I could encourage you guys with, uh, with anything, is that you guys would be not slaves to your sin, and not try to free yourself and, and gain this, this freedom like Onesimus did, but you would be slaves of righteousness. And, and what that means and what that looks like is um, that your will would be consumed in what God wants you to do, that you would serve Jesus with your whole heart. At the end of the day, our life is like a rope that goes off the stage on both ends, and it's it's picture of eternity. It just goes on forever and ever and ever. And there is a, uh, and there you are, a little piece of electrical tape taped around part of the rope. And you look at your life as just a, a speck on the, uh, on the scale of eternity, right? But what do we do? We focus our whole life, time, and energy on that one tiny little piece. That one tiny, tiny little time uh, period is what we focus on and what we worry about. And we, we, we forget about eternity. We forget about what really matters in life. We feed our flesh and we feed our sin because we, we, it satisfies now. But I guarantee you this, that it won't satisfy for long. And a span of eternity, our lives are what? The Bible says they're, they're vapor. They're here today, gone tomorrow. And then what? Then you're left to face the music with Jesus standing in front of you. So I hope that helps you put things into perspective because my whole life, or up until I was 22 years old, was lived just selfishly, and, and, and I got a hold of, G Jesus got a hold of me young at 22, um, but I, you know, after high school, went out, partied, and drank, and did all that fun stuff, that living free that you, you, you long to do as a teenager, and I did that, and it left me empty, and it left me bloated, <laughs> and it left me 
I mean, just empty. You know, and yeah, I thought that was so important. I thought it was so important to be loved. I thought it was so important to be liked. I thought it was so important to be the funny guy. I thought it was so important. Well, it was all garbage. What does that matter? Those four years, four and a half years were wasted where I could have been serving and loving Jesus. And so my challenge to you guys is to put things into perspective. What's really important in life? It doesn't matter how much money you make. It's all going to burn. It doesn't matter how nice your car is. It's going to run out of gas. It doesn't matter how nice your house is. It's going to get old. And none of these things matter. What matters is where you stand with Jesus. And are you a slave to righteousness or are you a slave to sin?